It's a special weekend, and uh, yeah, I'd like to recognize that as we start out this morning, just to, uh, yeah, push into what it means to live in this great country, yeah. and to have the great privileges that are ours, and, you know, and, and for what it means in terms of our historical factorings of how we have, as a country, impacted our world powerfully, uh, powerfully. April showers bring Mayflowers. What do Mayflowers bring? Pilgrims, yeah, there you go. <laughs> At the outset, I'd like to take a few moments today and remember this time we celebrate this time of year. It is our country's birthday coming up uh, tomorrow, and we do this, you know, it celebrates a whole weekend. Now, the Van Gelders are a military family. Uh, Jamie's grandfather, uh, the father of his mother, my wife, he served in World War II. He was the pilot and commander of a B-24 bomber in the Pacific Front in World War II. He flew 38 missions. Um, he's our family hero. Three of his sons, the brothers of my wife, Jamie's mother, three of his sons served, two of them in Vietnam, and, and one in the Middle East as a secret agent. And uh, yeah, there's things that he can't even say today. They're that secret. Um, I served for six years in the California National Guard. Jamie, your pastor, served for six years in the United States Air Force. His brother, Terry, served for six years in the United States Air Force, and his sister, Charity, served for five years in the United States Air Force. Yeah, I mean, wow. Yeah, wait, wait, it's not over with yet. Okay. My son-in-law, Charity's husband, uh, he is now a master sergeant. Uh, he has served 22 years in the United States Air Force, and he continues to this day. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're proud to be Americans, and we're proud to have served our great country. I'd like to kind of ask that question this morning, why? What is it that makes our country great? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to contend, first of all, that, so you see, our national documents are not about a constitution, they're about a creed. In the preamble of the Declaration of Independence, we read these words. Our foreign for founding fathers wrote them. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they have been endowed by their creator with these unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What makes this country great this is a reflection from a statement by two people who were Polish immigrants. They came to America in 1981. At their citizenship oath-taking in 1984, they were asked, what do you love about America? 
The couple, the woman answered, my husband is studying for his doctorate. We live in a comfortable apartment in mid-Manhattan. Weekends, we like to drive to the country. We love this country because when we want to move from one place to another, we do not have to ask permission. We love this country because we want to go, go abroad. We just buy a ticket and go. We, I love America because when I need a needle, I just go to the local tar, Target store and I buy one. I, I, I love it because I don't have to stand in line for hours to buy a single piece of fat meat. I love America because even with inflation, I don't have to pay a day's earnings for a small chicken. I love America because America trusts me. When I go to the shop to buy a pair of shoes, I'm not asked for my identity card. I love America because my mail is not censored, my phone is not tapped, my conversation with friends is not reported to the secret police. Sometimes when I walk with my husband through the streets of New York, all of a sudden we will stop, we will look at each other and we will kiss and people think that we're in love and it is true. But we are also in love with America Standing in the street amidst the noise and pollution, we suddenly realize what great fortune and joy is ours to live in this great and free country. Ooh. If you have, and just oh, this is important, if you've served the United States military, you know, in your lifetime, any time in your lifetime, I, I want you to stand this morning, okay? If you'd stand where you're at, please, thank you. Yeah, come on. If you've served, stand. <laughs> stay standing. Those who are standing, stay standing. I, this is really important to me. These words were spoken November 19th, 1863 by President Abraham Lincoln. It was at the dedication of the Gettysburg Battlefield Cemetery. And he said these words. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come here to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or distract. The world will little note or long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is to us living rather than to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have so far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that 
from these honored dead, we take increased devotion to that which caused, which they gave their full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that this government by the people and for the people and of the people shall not perish from the earth. And now, will all of you also join those who are standing, please? Or all of us just stand. I just like a, to pray a prayer of thanksgiving and, and a bit of dedication from our lives for those who have gone before us and modeled for us. Father in heaven, we come before you, and this morning we, gear, we come with grateful hearts, and we are so thankful for the privilege that has been given to us to be a part of this great nation. And as we celebrate our birthday today, or, or, and or tomorrow or this weekend, we come, and with thanksgiving, we lift our hearts to you, and we give you praise. We thank you, Father, that you have been with us through tough times and, and through easy times. And you have continued to honor our work, our ability, our actions, and our call to the world. That indeed, we are a nation under God. And we want to model and continue to demonstrate that. And so we're asking, Father in heaven, that you give us the strength and the power and the will. That we may be continue to be a part of helping to make our world a better place. And we dedicate to you our hearts and our lives for the gospel of the kingdom. And we also dedicate, second, dedicate our lives, secondly, uh, to the great nation, which we're a part of and we serve. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. This morning, I want to tell you about this guy. He went into a psychologist's office, and he uh, said to the psychologist, he said, Doc, I got a problem, and he said, uh, I keep acting like a dog. And the psychologist scratches his head, and he said, well, how long has this been going on? And the man said, ever since I was a puppy. <laughs> and the doc says, I agree, you've got a problem, uh, we lay down on the couch, and the man said, I'm sorry, but I'm not allowed on the couch. <laughs> the question we're looking with or trying to handle today is, how do you see yourself? How, how do you think about who you are? There's a verse that's found in Proverbs I've showed. I know I've showed some of you this before, but here it is. Proverbs 23, 7. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. As they think in their hearts. How do you think in your hearts? How, how do you think about you? Back at the end of World War I in eight, 1918, the French army found itself with a very sticky problem there were upwards to 100 soldiers 
who were suffering from what, what they called back then shell shock. They could not remember who they were. They didn't know who they were, and they didn't know where they came from. Due to a faulty record-keeping system, the army did not know their identity either. Now, these men were otherwise in perfect health. Um, if only they could be reunited with their families, all likelihood it would be that they'd returning to their roots, they would soon remember their identity and their memories would be restored. But what was the army to do? Then some up came up with a brilliant idea. We could hold an identity rally in Paris, they said. We'll advertise it throughout the whole country, and every family with relatives, or me, who have relatives missing in action could come to the rally, be invited to come. And this plan was adopted, and finally that great day arrived, and literally thousands upon thousands of people gathered in a plaza downtown in the center city of Paris. A high platform had been elected, erected, rather, so all could see. And one by one, the lost soldiers would step up to the microphone, look hopefully through the vast crowd, and many of them with tears rolling down their cheeks would say, please, Please, is there anyone out there who can tell me who I am? Who I am. It, it seems to me that an awful lot of people in our world today find themselves in a very similar place these soldiers found themselves. Please, please, is there anyone who can tell me who I am? Today, what I want to say to you, there is someone here who can tell us his name is Jesus. And one of the main reasons he came and walked on our planet Earth was to help us see who we really are, who we had been created to be. If you ask most church-going folks, why did Jesus come? Most would likely say he came to die on the cross. He came to die for the sins of the world. And I mean, that's true. That's true. But there's a second thing Jesus came to do, and it's at least as important as the cross. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not wanting to in any way, any way diminish the cross, nor its power, nor my need for it. The cross is very important in our lives. It's just that the cross is not the full story of what Jesus came to do. I want you to see a verse. It's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. That's all of us. <laughs> yeah, but all have sinned. That's our history. Fall short of the glory of God. Now, that's not the glory that God has in terms of his created power and glory. The glory we're falling short of is the glory that Adam and Eve had before the fall. It was the glory that humankind was created with when he created us in his image. I'll show it to you real clearly. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. 
The glory that Jesus is trying to restore is the glory Adam and Eve carried before the fall. It's the glory that God intends for each one of us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for good for those who, call, those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. There's a, go, go back 28 seconds. You know, it, there's a stronger word in Greek than has been translated here, and what it says is God causes all things to work together. It's powerful. Verse 28, 9, then, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You want to know what God's will for your life is? That you become Christ-like. That's the glory that you're carrying. That's the glory. Jesus is known as the last Adam. As the last Adam, he has come to restore God's glory in us, the image and the likeness of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, that's our history. That's been taken care of by the cross. But the glory of God is our destiny. That is what is being restored by the resurrection that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Now, here's what I'm trying to say to you today is when Jesus walked the earth, he was always trying to call people into this higher calling to help them take hold of God's image in them to restore their true identity that they might be the glory of God in us might be fully restored. And I'm going to do something with you today. You're going to go with me through a, in a journey through parts of the New Testament. And as we do so, I'm, yeah, I, I, I got to have you see some things because you, I don't think you're going to look at Jesus the same when we're done today. As you see him at work in your life, calling you, calling you to your true destiny. Luke chapter 5. Um, if you have your phone, you can look at it, or, your, or a Bible. or No one brings a Bible anywhere, do they? Uh, yikes. Hey, hey, there you go. Thank you. You're, oh, people after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> I can't turn the pages on a phone. Man, I get to do it here. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowded around him and listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And when he sat down, he taught the people from the boat. Now, Jesus wore the, the, the robe of a rabbi, of a Jewish rabbi. That, that's the robe he wore. That's the part he played. He was a Jewish rabbi. Uh, a Jewish rabbi, uh, when he taught, he, he taught from three different kind of positions, or three different positions. He taught as he was walking along the way. And we see Jesus doing this with the disciples. He teaches as they walk along the way. Now, if the, a Jewish rabbi wanted to really emphasize something, what he would do is he would stop 
and stand and teach from the standing position. But if he had something really, really, really important to say, he would sit down and teach. He sat down and taught. If you go to Matthew chapter 5, and the Sermon on the Mount starts out this way, Jesus went up to a high place, and he sat down, and he taught them. Well, Jesus sits down in the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And yet, because you say so, we will let down the nets. Now, this is really key because you don't read it. You know, you, you don't read it. When you read it, you don't see it. Uh, but Peter is very sarcastic at this point. You got to got to catch this, okay? You see, Peter's been a fisherman his whole life, and he's really saying to Jesus, "Listen, you land lover, <laughs> I'm a fisherman, and I know, and we know what happens. And the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, is such that the fish you want to catch." They, they, they are out at night, they're on the surface of the water, but when the sun comes out, they scurry to the depths, and you can't reach them with your nets. And anyone who's a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee knows it, and I lived in Israel for 14 months. I was out of the Sea of Galilee with the local fishermen. We were out there all night long, because <laughs> that's when you catch the fish. But because you say so, We'll let down the nets. In other words, Peter is saying, hey, and we'll even show you. <laughs> yes, you will. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell on his knees and said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. In the light of the miracle, he sees his attitude and what he really had done. And he, and he repents deeply. Go away. I don't deserve to be here, and yet Jesus will not hear it. He will not hear it. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore and left everything to follow him. You know, it, it, you know Jesus says, you know, you're going to catch men, but, but it's way deeper than that, folks. Okay, don't, it, that's not what Jesus is really saying. You know, you'll be a fisher of men. And that, you know, I mean, that's, you'll catch men. I mean, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, I am calling you. You've been a fisher of fish, but I'm calling you to be a world changer. I, I'm calling to follow, to, for you to follow me, and we're taking back the planet. Go over to Matthew, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, 
Caesarea Philippi, it's way, it's north of the Sea of Gil. It's way up in northern Israel. It is the launching point. If you wanted to go south to Jerusalem, you would start at Caesarea Philippi, and you would go Transjordan across the road and down to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem. That's the way they went. Jesus is about to head to Jerusalem because it's the last month of his life on earth. He has invested three and a half years in these disciples. It's all coming. You know, he's trying to give them their final test. <laughs> Here it is. You got to hear it. Who? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Three and a half years you've been walking with me. What kind of conclusions have you made about me? Here's how I see it. You can see the angels in heaven, and they're standing above a large portal, and they're all looking down. Quiet. Don't flap your wings. I want to hear what he says. <laughs> what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the prophesied about king, the greater son of David, the son of the living God. And the angels broke loose in great cheering. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I, I think I've told some of you this before, this before but, but it, it, this verse itself is pretty deceptive in terms of how it's worded and how we read it or how we've read it over time, over history. We hear the gates of hell, and we think, oh, no, the terrible gates of hell. <laughs> oh, watch out for the gates of hell. They're marching around about to get us. Uh, that's a misunderstanding, and there's a word that's not translated as well as it could be, because the word overcome should be translated stand against it. You see, it's not, that, it's not hell that is invading the world. It is the church that is invading hell. In ancient warfare, when a king invaded another country, the king of that country, he would get a hold of his army and they would grab a hold of the weapons which are stored in the walled city and they would go out and meet the invading army in the field and they would take them on there and their hope was to drive them from their borders. But if they failed and they had the other and they were defeated, they would retreat back to their walled city and to close up the gates. The strongest part of defense in the ancient city was the gate. When you visit Israel, they're, wow, it, that's one of the focal points in archaeology. You see the gates, and they're all wonderfully fortified. The highest defensive towers, the strongest fortifications were at the gate because it was the most vulnerable. You will invade the gates of hell, and even the strongest fortifications of hell will not be able to Hold against the onslaught in advance of the church. Are you hearing this this morning? It is not hell invading us. It is us invading hell. And we have been called 
by the Lord Jesus to be kingdom warriors and to help take back the planet. And Peter will stand and preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 will come into the church on that day. Whoa. And it began to spread and soon there were 5,000 men that were part of the church and you add women and children and that's at like, like at 15 to 20,000 and you get to Acts chapter 10. In the book of Acts, every every chapter's about like a year, okay? So you get, you're about 10 years into church history and now Peter goes to uh, Cornelius's house and the Gentiles are now included into the gospel and the gospel spreads to the Gentiles. And Peter's spearheading the whole thing. Go over to, and let's take a look at a woman. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We started actually uh, 753. Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teacher of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus teacher this woman was caught in the very act of adultery and now in the law Moses commanded that we should stone such women now what do you say and they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him now a couple things here it's a setup because yeah, under the law, the man was just as guilty as the woman. But, uh, but the woman comes, or she's caught, but the man wasn't caught. It's like, okay, it's obviously, we got a setup going on here. Uh, but besides that, okay, they expect, I mean, they're, they, they kind of watch Jesus, and they expect him to try to get her off. But if he does, if he lets her go, they can say, you're a lawbreaker. And he loses credibility because of how they felt about the law. So, this is fascinating now. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And I want to ask you, what do you think he wrote? I'm going to get to that. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, this is fascinating, you know, if you, if you could look at the original text on it, because he doesn't just use, when, when Jesus stands up and says, whoever hasn't sinned or without sin, you can throw the first stone. He, he doesn't use the normal word for sin, which is harmartea, which means to miss the mark. He uses a special word, anamartea. Anamartea, you know, hamartea would be using that would mean general sin, anyone who hasn't sinned. But when you use the harmartea, what it means is a specific sin that the context tells you what the sin is. And in this context, he's standing and saying, whichever man is here without sexual sin, throw the first stone at her. And we see them, oh, 
And those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first would tell. Uh, only Jesus was left and the woman standing there. You see, there's not a man in here who doesn't identify with the dilemma here that all those men face because there's not one of us. There's not a man who, in the room who could say, hey, I, I am totally free of sexual sin. No, it's not true. And they all left, and the older ones to the younger, and uh, yeah, they just had more to feel guilty about. And Jesus said to the woman, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus looks at you know, she, he, he stands up and he says, woman, I have saved you from death. Because he has. I mean, basically what he's saying, I have saved you from death. But it's not the end of the story. Neither do I condemn you, declared Jesus. Go and leave your life of sin. He's really saying to her, go. Do not live this way because you're way too precious to live this way. Go and live a life like the prince of, princess of God you were created to be. Sons and daughters of God, I say to you, how are you living? Are you living like the son of God, like the daughter of God you're created to be? Go over to, uh, let me see. I want to go to, I believe... Yeah. Luke chapter 8. This is a really fun one. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep and a squall came down the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Help. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. And where's your faith, he asked. The disciples in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the water, and they obey him. And they sailed to a region of the Gerasians, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house he had lived among the tombs, and they saw, he saw Jesus, and he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. you got to see this picture, okay? The storms on the sea, the disciples have... Oh, Jesus calms the storm, the boat lands, and Jesus goes ashore, but the disciples follow him, and they're on the ground kissing the ground. Oh, it's so good. To be on solid ground. And then they look up. And here comes this demon-possessed guy screaming and yelling and like a madman, probably naked, it feels like it says. And, 
And, and we call this a mission trip from hell. <laughs> Don't torture me. Many times he had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, his chains had been, had, oh, and many times it had they had, many times it had seized him, and though he had been chained or was chained hand and foot, uh, his chains, whew, he broke. He broke the chains and was driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus said, "What is your name, Legion?" And anyway, they asked permission to go into the pigs, and they go into the pigs, and the pigs run down and go all drowned. And then those tending the pigs saw what, they ha what had happened. They ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Doesn't that seem strange? Hey, you know. Pete there, he's up in the tombs and he's screaming, running around naked, cutting himself with stones, making havoc everywhere, eating their cats and their dogs, and, and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it must be all right, Pete's doing his thing. But now he's sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they are afraid. <laughs> Whoa. And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And all the people of the region of the Gerasians asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got up into the boat and left. And the man whom the demons had gone out of begged to go with him. Hey, I don't want to be with them, Jesus. Let me go with you. And Jesus said, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. You know, it's kind of a funny catch, really, if you think about it. The guy, you know, hey, go back and bear testimony. It's a large populated area. The Decapolis is actually the area. It, it, there were, most of them were Gentile cities. That's 10 cities. It, it's a huge populated area. Go tell them. What's, what's, what, what the Lord has done for you. And so the guy goes. He's only got one sermon. <laughs> I'm the demon-possessed guy that was running around nude in the hills. And, you know, yeah, don't worry. I'm going to leave him on. <laughs> By the way, sorry about your cats and your dogs. <laughs> but I want to tell you what the Lord has done for me. Now, there's a, there's a P.S. attached to this story that, that an awful lot of people don't know about. Um, the P.S. is this. Jesus will return to this area, and the Gospels bear witness. When Jesus returns, the people see Jesus returning, and you know what happens? They run, and they scurry, and they get their sick, and they're lame, and they're blind, and, and everyone, they, and, and they bring them out to Jesus so that he can heal them, and a revival starts. That man had done a good job. 
Not only that now, folks, okay? Archaeologically, this is, you know, the Decapolis, we're talking of Gentile cities, but the oldest churches in the world, guess where they're located? Archaeology has uncovered them. They're in these cities. How successful was that man at telling what Jesus had done for him? Isn't that wonderful? You know, if you got to leave, get up and go, okay? Because I'm not going to get done in time. <laughs> but, but if you listen real fast, okay, we'll get to it. Here we go. Okay, I'm going to go back to Peter for just a moment. Matthew, chapter 26. Just listen carefully. Verse 31, and Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I mean, these other weak-kneed disciples might fall away, but Jesus, you can count on me. And I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Go over to 26, and now you get to verse 69. And Peter was sitting, this is Jesus has been arrested, he's sitting in the courtyard where he's warming himself by the fire. That'll be important. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. And he denied it before them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. He, see, I think if it had been a soldier with a sword, he'd, he'd, he'd have stood his ground. But he wasn't expecting a girl. Then he went out to the, into the gateway, and, and there another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. And he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word of Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Uh, uh, that is a life cruncher, cr cruncher, folks. <laughs> it really is. But you see, you get to go over to John 21 because you see Peter's story is your story and it's also my story. It really is. And I, I'm going to, instead, of, I, I'd love to go through this, but, but I'll, I'll skip on to the to the point, okay? Verse 15, when they had finished eating, you, got, you know, they, they fish and they throw the nets over on the other side again and the net gets filled with fish and Peter jumps and goes to Jesus and, and there's a fire there and Jesus cooks them breakfast and anyway, you get to verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said, Simon Peter, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? 
The word these, you have to know, okay? Greek uh, language is a gendered, every noun has a gender to it. It's male, female, or neutral, okay? When, when Jesus said, do you love me more than these, he's not referring to the other disciples. The, the, the gender of that is neutral. He is referring to the boats. Peter, do you love me more than the boats? Do you love me more than your ability to provide for yourself? That's what he's really saying. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know all things. I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. He's saying, Jesus is saying, hey, I am restoring you to full discipleship. You are to follow me because I am calling you to be a world conqueror. And that's what you're restored as. Don't miss what this is saying, folks. It, it's, the language gets way too gentle, but it's way, way powerful. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And, and he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Peter, I am restoring you. I'm restoring you to full discipleship. I'm restoring you as a world conqueror. <laughs> and a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. And Peter is hurt. But see, Jesus is not going to stop because how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And three times Jesus is going to have Peter affirm his love for him because he wants to drive that forgiveness deep into Peter's heart so it no longer has any roots there. And what he has done for Peter, he wants to do for you. Do you understand? Because he has not called you just to be a fisher of men or a fisher of women. He has called you to be a world conqueror. To be a world conqueror. You see, I have, I've got 12 things. I, they're in, I've got my journal here, but they're in my journal. I, I declare them over myself. They're personal declarations, but I've gathered them from the, from the scriptures and the gospel of the kingdom. And, and I'll give you the first three, okay? If you want the whole 12, you're going to have, have to talk to Pastor Jamie, get Dad up there to speak about his 12, okay? And <laughs> the first three, okay. These are, these are key, okay. The first three, I'm a son of God. You are, I, you know, I'm a daughter of God. Your, your identity, that, that, I mean, it takes hold right there. You're a son of God. You're a, a daughter of God. John chapter 12, verse 1, we looked at it a few weeks ago. You know, to those who believed, who received him, who believed in his name, he gave authority, esousia, esousia. He gave the authority to declare that has the power to indeed cause it to happen. And you have been endowed with the power and the authority to be able to stand and say, I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. Do you understand? The second thing. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. Galatians 5, no, Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. When you're drunk with wine, the wine on the inside controls the behavior on the outside. And you, or the 
apostle uses it as an example, says, no, be filled by the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit on the inside controls the behavior on the outside. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the third thing is the Great Commission. I've, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. I am commissioning you, Jesus says, as kingdom warriors. And your job is to go take back the planet. That's what you're called to. World changer. World changers. World conquerors. Well, <clears throat> I <laughs> have violated this more than I ever have. So let's, uh, we'll, we'll end this quickly. But what I want you to do, yeah, stand to your feet. Father in heaven, I just, in Jesus' name, I commissioned this group of people to their God-designed destiny. They are the sons and daughters of God, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are called to be kingdom warriors and to help take back this planet, and I declare it over them in Jesus' name. <laughs> for his glory, for his glory. And now, the blessing of the Lord, look up and receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his presence upon you, and give you his peace, his shalom. In your leisure and your labor, you're coming and you're going today and all week long. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen.